Gracious and holy God, at the start of this season of Lent, help us to search ourselves, to ask about our relationship with you, and to find you, and to find freedom. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For any preacher who seeks to tell the truth about the Bible, there is a problem that pops up again and again. There are two competing stories in scripture, and both of them are important. On one hand, there is the story one hopes is the dominant one, a story of grace, forgiveness, and generosity, the movement of God's love in the world. This is the story of good. At the same time, there is another story, and that is the story of sin, the story of evil. It is connected to the first story, We need grace, forgiveness, and generosity in the world because the world is so messed up. Things are not the way they are supposed to be. From wars and refugees to political unrest to the challenges of marriage and family, life in the world is full of problems. Because of the story of evil, we need the story of good. Grace, forgiveness, generosity to repair things, and to help us navigate the suffering we will find in life. In the Bible, these stories, these two stories meet one another almost right away in the Garden of Eden. It has been my experience that often we shortchange this story and we assume it is a story just about evil. After all, is it not the foundational tale about original sin? Well, some theologians think so. Surprisingly, though, the word sin and all of its synonyms do not appear anywhere in this story. Original sin, the idea that we have all inherited sin from this story and from one another, that idea may seem seem to fit this story in some of its parts, and it's an idea worth talking about. But it is definitely an idea that interpreters layered upon the story itself. And as it turns out, the story itself, in that story there is much, much more going on than just sin. The story itself is really quite genius. And I invite you to revisit it with me this morning so that I can highlight a few of the things that sometimes get lost. I think of at least three important ideas that need to be drawn from this story. One, that it is a story. It is not doctrine. It is not a listing of facts. We get the most from this passage when we understand it as an important story, rich in its meaning. Second, that it is a story about relationships. And third that the relationships in the story teach us something about freedom. So story, relationships, and freedom. 
First, let's talk about story. One of the ways this story draws us in, I think, is in the particular words that are used. Following immediately on the stories of the creation, the woman and the man find themselves in the Garden of Eden. Eden, drawn from a Hebrew word that means delight or luxury or dainty. And we are told that the garden is home to, quote, every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Wow. What a setting for this story. God places the woman and the man in the garden, and the word for placing them there is akin to rest, settle down, remain. Words suggesting that the garden is a place for comfortable repose. And all of this gives rise to the traditional idea that the garden is absolute paradise. This is what God has prepared. In the midst of this idyllic setting, the man and the woman are given free reign and an amazing gift. The Lord says, you may eat of every tree of the garden. Every tree except one, the one in the middle. And that tree turns out to be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can see that the Garden of Eden clearly invites good and evil into conversation. There is an initial scene that is dominated by grace and generosity and love, But in that place, a story will develop that is about temptation and mistrust and alienation. A story centered around that one tree. Now, most stories about really serious things, if they are well told, also have a little bit of levity. And the story of the Garden of Eden has that that quality as well. Here's an example. The woman and the man who are placed in the Garden of Eden are described this way in chapter 2, verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, I don't know about you, but I have four little boys living under my roof. They are ages 7, 6, 2, and 10 months, and I know what it looks like to be naked and unashamed. It involves, uh, it it happens all the time. It happens at bath time. It happens at bedtime. It happens when you're supposed to be getting your shoes on to go to church. And it involves a lot of running and screaming and laughing and making sure that your brothers all know what your bottom looks like. It is pure joy. The scripture says the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I'm not sure if that was meant to be funny, but I'm pretty sure that the next part was not meant to be so serious, and that sets us up for it. These two people who are naked and unashamed are wandering in the garden one day, and they come upon a serpent who can speak. Really? The serpent can speak. How come no one ever talks about this? Well, really, no one ever does, and my hunch is this. By the time that God creates the whole world out of a word, 
creates two people to keep one another from being lonely and places them in a garden of pure paradise, home to every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Well, by the time all of that happens, why not a serpent who can talk? You see, all of these fun parts of the tale suggest a couple of things to me. First, this is not a story meant to spawn creation museums and science teachers who won't talk about evolution. It's a story that is supposed to teach us about the struggle between good and evil. And second, that struggle between good and evil is so pervasive, so intractable, so persistent a part of every single human life that you would had better learn to have a sense of humor about some of it, or you will never make it through this journey. So the Bible doesn't tell us about good and evil by the way of philosophy or a list of rules. Instead, we are told a story. And it is an amusing story. It captures our imagination. Go home and read the whole thing again for yourself and be drawn in by the words and the images that are within it. Sometimes I think life is a little bit more bearable if we look at it less as a problem to be solved and more as a story we get to be a part of. We get to be a part of this struggle between good and evil, and that's how we know that this story is real and true. Now let's talk about the relationships. In a well-told story about good and evil, a character has to represent each one, and so God is the force of good, and to represent evil, enter the serpent. We are told he was crafty. And the serpent begins to talk to the woman and the man about the tree. Think about all of the relationships that are at play in this very brief story. God creates a world and a relationship with two people. And God gives them a garden that is home to every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And God says, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden except one. God creates this relationship. It is a relationship based on generosity and love and trust. The two people also have a relationship with one another. Because they are together, they are no longer lonely. And then the serpent, who is crafty, proposes a change in these relationships. He asks a question of the woman in hopes of getting her to question her relationship with God. The serpent sows doubt. And the doubt that the serpent seeds in her, she shares with the man, and he shares it with her. Contrary to what you may have heard, both parties are guilty here. They eat. And so their relationship with one another is changed. They are still naked, just as before. But their bodies seem less of a gift than they were before. Now they are ashamed. Their relationship with God changes, for they have rejected God's gift. The serpent has introduced into the relationship suspicion, 
and shame and alienation. The point of all of this seems to be that relationships are a part of faith. And there are bound to be different kinds of relationships. God desires a particular kind of relationship with us and for us. One that will help us to navigate life in this world where there is good and evil. And God's relationships are based in generosity and love and trust. And they are also characterized by one more idea, freedom. Some of you will have noticed that we have not yet addressed this crux of the serpent's argument. The serpent asks, why did God place that one tree in the garden, a tree of which they could not eat? Well, why did God put that tree there? When we've considered all of the many blessings of the garden and the freedom that the man and the woman were asked to enjoy there, it seems that God did want them to eat freely that God did want them to live freely. And so we think about it, and when we take freedom seriously, most of us know that there is no such thing as true freedom unless there are some limits, some boundaries, some guardrails. Freedom is what we want in life. Freedom from want freedom from fear, freedom from hate, freedom from shame. And those of us who have lived in the real world know that real freedom comes with restraints. Restraints that keep us from harming ourselves and restraints that allow other people to enjoy freedom too. I use the term guardrails to describe limits on freedom. Imagine that you are driving on a winding mountain road. I'm picturing those switchbacks on the Pacific Coast Highway, way up in the air. There's a guardrail at the side of the road, and on the other side of it, a vertical drop-off that goes and goes until the rocky sea below. Have you ever considered that very few people actually hit the guardrails? But nevertheless, if they were not there, driving down the road would be absolutely terrifying. And you probably would not go. We may wish to say that the guardrails are unneeded, but their presence is what allows us to go on the journey with a sense of confidence, a sense of ease, a sense of, you might say, freedom. This, I believe, is what the story is about. The meeting point between the story of good and the story of evil is freedom. What God intends for us is not a life of pure good or pure evil, but freedom. And true freedom is only found in the presence of boundaries, restraints, guardrails. Because guardrails are what allows us to live without being afraid. What is the true freedom God wishes for you? 
And what are the boundaries that are needed in order for that freedom to really arrive? I'm sure there are countless answers, as many as there are people in this room. This is why this story of the Garden of Eden is such a good one. It, it opens up more questions, more conversation, more searching. It's a good story for the season of Lent. Lent is a season where we are to consider these three things I've been talking about. The story of our faith, our relationship with God, the freedom God wants for us. Your own personal story of faith, how's it going? How are you doing in your relationship with God? What needs to change in your life in order for you to live with real freedom? Having been invited into these amazing questions for the next 40 days, it's a bit limiting, I think, to assume that the answers are found simply in avoiding chocolate or having fish on Fridays. Why not consider instead what it might look like to have a guardrail in your life that would give you more freedom? Perhaps your guardrail is about eating or drinking. But perhaps it's about letting go of some element of anger or malice in your life. Perhaps it is about committing yourself to a practice of prayer or meditation that will give you spiritual courage for each day. Perhaps it is about dealing with some nagging situation in your past that's keeping you from freedom. So many things in life steal away our joy and our freedom. You probably know what it is for you. Long ago, a story was told about joy-filled people living in a garden, naked and unashamed. They were perfectly free. Perfectly free because they had the right limit to their freedom. In this season, I pray that you might consider your story, your relationship with God, and consider that God wishes for you to be free. What do you need in order to more fully embrace that freedom? Amen.